listening to Off The Line. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Off The Line. My name's Jack. Today, I'm joined by Jake and Aiden. We're back. It's in, it's the international break right now. We're going to be reviewing uh, Everton against Man United last weekend. We're going to go over our thoughts on the Newcastle takeover uh, and all of the controversy surrounding that. And we're also going to go into all of Canada's international World Cup qualifier games because we've we've seen some huge results in those um, that are very exciting. But we'll start off with uh, with Everton against United. But before we do that, how are you guys? Jake, how are you? Hi, Jack. Um, I'm doing well this week. Uh, obviously, I've had some time to digest the, the result against Everton. So not as downbeat as it would have been last week. But yeah, other than that, I'm just doing very well. Uh, like you mentioned, the national break is always... It's always nice after a run of bad games to just you know re- reset kind of kind of miss watching united uh, and if if like for example if united would have had a game after the Everton game i probably wouldn't have been looking forward to it too much but you know now after the a nice break just the anticipation is coming back and yeah that's about it for me um so yeah Aiden, how are you doing very well just off a nice thanksgiving happy thanksgiving to all the canadian uh listeners out there it was a good weekend and as you kind of stated, didn't have to watch the dreadful form of United, so I was very, very pleased with that. How are you, Jack? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It was it was a good Thanksgiving, and uh, for the first time, we'll get onto it. But for the first time, I'm just I feel so invested in the international break because of the success that the Canadian national team's having. But we'll get onto that in a bit. Let's go back. We can start off with the game at Old Trafford. The 1-1 draw between Man United and Everton. Uh, and to be honest, guys, I don't have a lot to say about Man United in this game. I didn't really learn anything about them as a squad in this game. I thought I learned a lot more about Everton in terms of them being able to get this result without the likes of uh, Seamus Coleman, Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin. But didn't learn a lot about United. But uh, Jake, I'll come to you first. What were your, I know it's, it's, it's a week ago, but what, what are your thoughts on the game looking back now? Yeah, it's not a dig at Everton. It's the first thing I'll say, but it was just disappointing to to draw a game like that. Like, I know as a, as a, as United fans, there's quite a bit of us that are that are like entitled that we we should be winning trophies, like where we have a right to be winning trophies. But but as a United fan, like obviously I'm disappointed with every time United drops points. But I think it's like most of the time, like depending on the circumstances, it's like acceptable against like Liverpool and City and Chelsea, just because they're such um, high caliber teams. But when you look at, and again, like I'm saying, I'm not taking a dig, but again, when you see a team like Everton compared to a team like United, I think United should be winning those games. Um, even if not just like in terms of style of play or whatever, just, just based on the personnel, like, like um, it, let's say the full strength 11 are, are lining up. Like you'd have Ronaldo as United striker versus Calvert-Lewin. And I know I, I really didn't like Calvert-Lewin. It's our last season, but I've come around a little bit to that. He offers like a, a unique skill set, but you, you, I don't think there's anyone in the world that would say Calvert-Lewin is a better striker than Ronaldo. Um, and you could really go go like that per per position. Like Jaden Sancho, like let's say he's playing on his preferred position on the right versus Andrews Townsend. And I, I named Townsend on purpose. Obviously, we know he scored that goal. but um, And I know his form is good as well. But just in, in general, like in terms of caliber and, and prestige, I guess, and recognition, I think most people would, would choose United players for almost every position. So 
it was disappointing from that point of view and it was just disappointing like united's run of form overall i think that's that's two straight results at home in the Premier League, where united didn't get the result and and obviously the long to west ham before that as well so again the home form's an issue like it was last season um and yeah honestly just w- one of the big surprises f- for this was before the national break it was um some of the choice in the lineup just like resting ronaldo starting marcial etc but i guess it, it worked out okay with uh, i shouldn't say that but just the the decision to start Martial was validated a little bit in the fact that he scored, but um, like a lot of United fans will, will be pointing out, he didn't do too much other than that. Like it, it's still an issue with him, but he won't like run off the ball and he won't he won't press on the way back. So that that causes problems, obviously. And <clears throat> it it was honestly vital for United to get all those points, like from Aston Villa, Everton, to get maximum points, Southampton, just to get maximum points before the their national break because now i'll read off united's fixtures coming up and it, it's incredible especially considering i just remembered this mcguire and Varane are both injured for about a month at least so it's going to be a i don't want to say disastrous run but it's going to be a stressful run anyway so united's next fixtures coming up in order they have leicester in the premier league then atalanta in the champions league then liverpool then spurs then atalanta again then Manchester City, then Watford, then Villarreal, then Chelsea, then Arsenal. That's an incredible run of fixtures. I don't think I've ever, I know for a fact I've never seen United go through a run of fixtures like that, but those are like like 10 games against like top-class opponents where, well, maybe not Watford, but you know what I mean. I'll, I'll, I'll pile them in there, but you, I'd expect United to struggle in, in most of those games in general, and, and considering the fact that Maguire and Varane are out, it's not really looking too promising. Um so yeah, I'm nervous for that. I guess the only other thing to say about this game was, I don't know why exactly it was a game against Everton when it was just a draw at home, but it kind of felt like the game where a lot of opinions uh, changed on on Solskjaer. I saw like a lot of United fans who previously backed him no matter what. Um, I saw a lot of them saying, yeah, he's not the right man to take us forward. Um, we need to change, et cetera, et cetera, which is, it's kind of concerning considering I, I kind of had those same thoughts as well. Like after the Everton game, just because uh, after the, the run of fixtures, I know before the season, me and Aiden were looking at these fixtures. We're like, United should be winning like four out of the, out of the five first games in the league, et cetera. And they, obviously, United hasn't done that. Um, so looking at, like after the Everton game, just looking at it from a point of view, I, I'm, I know before I was like Solskjaer in like no matter what, but now I'm like, I hope Solskjaer can do a good job and win, but I'm not sure, quite sure anymore. And that's, um, it's obviously a very sad feeling because I love Solskjaer, but I guess we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm, I'm less sure on him than I was before. Um, ultimately, like the same with most United fans, we just want the club to do well. And if Solskjaer is in charge for that, then that's a, obviously a benefit because he's just a club legend. But I don't know. I, I it, it was, like I said, I don't know exactly why it was the Everton result, which is just a draw, but it seems to be the 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 game that could have been like a tipping point, which is obviously um, unfortunate because like I mentioned, uh, obviously we, we love Solskjaer and even just as a player, as a person, just everything he stands for. But it, it is, it is a, I don't know. It's a, a scary time, I guess. We'll have to see what United can do to change it. It's not like there's, there's a plethora of, of great managers just waiting to take over. I mean, Steve Bruce might have a job soon, but that's not exactly the, the, the United should be searching in. So yeah, that, honestly, that's about it. You know, it was it was just a bit scary. But Aiden, I don't know what you think about about all that. Like maybe about Solskjaer as well. Just what what do you think? Yeah, a lot of good points in there. The only thing that I disagree with you about is um when you're talking about player for player, I'd take Allen and Ducore in the engine room, the most important area of the park, over McTominay and Fred all day, which I think is a, a 
big factor in United not having success. So Decore has been brilliant this season. You said uh, saw it again in this game. So I disagree with that, but maybe that was just oversight. I'm sure now if you could go back, you'd probably say Allen and Decore better. I know you have good judgment, Jacob. Uh, other than that, Solskjaer moving forward. Yeah, I think just the run of games will determine this run of games. You, you list off the fixtures. I think this will determine what happens, especially uh, league position. I could see them doing decently in some of them and, and maybe dropping some points in others. But I think the Champions League, if they fall out of that and don't uh, pick up the points necessary, that could be a big hindrance to him keeping his job. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's more disappointing because Everton, they almost won the game off on the offside goal and United didn't really have any chances of that same caliber. And once again, I think that maybe resting Ronaldo was a bit of a mistake for this game. Not that he would have done anything different than Cavani. Cavani's always pressing and doing his best, but I think just having that fear factor and, and having him up front, especially like you said, before the international break, there's not really much to say about the actual game itself. A bit of a, niggly stuff you know McTominay and uh, Gray and and whoever else getting into it I'd like to see that for McTominay but I just don't think he's at the level to be a weekend week out starter like I say I think Ducore and Allen would do a better job than those players um, especially when all that Fred really offers is energy I think both of those players can do that and yeah there's there's not really too much to say United kept a lot of possession but there wasn't much past that and um, I don't think other than his assist, I don't think Bruno had his best day. If he's not getting on the ball, Greenwood, he's, he's not really going to be creating too much by himself. Wambasak is not going to be getting over. And obviously Sancho hasn't added in, so he wasn't going to be playing. And it was good for Martial to get off the mark, but disappointed once again. I, I don't really know. Honestly, that's, that's what I have to say. I don't really know where I stand right now as a United fan. I, I like Ole and I disagree with Ole Outers because – they never offer a solution. They never offer who's the next manager, what needs to be changed. They just say all he needs to go. And they don't really acknowledge the progress that's been made under him. So I'm kind of somewhere in the middle right now. And I think this next run of fixtures is going to determine his future. And yeah, maybe by December, we'll know the future of the club. But what do you think, Jack? I'm sure you're very happy about the result, especially with Rondon up front. Very embarrassing for you. Yeah, well, yeah, if I, I'll touch on United really quick because you guys covered almost everything. But uh, it's just the fact, like I'm looking at their team here. They, Although we know, and it's a common theme on the podcast, is that we always say, like, no matter what the criticism of, of, of Solskjaer is, the fact that they do need a number six and they, they genuinely just don't have one at the correct level. Like You've got Matic, but watching Matic run at any point in the last, like, two years, he he. He's like not capable of running. It's not really his fault. He's pretty, he's pretty old. So he's getting on a bit, but in terms of their squad, I'd like to see some sort of like patterns of play when teams are going to sit back. And it's just, I, it, for me as a neutral, I'm at the point now where I think I'm, I've just accepted that Solskjaer. I don't think that even with a number six, I don't think that he'd be the one to carry United to league titles and stuff, but I don't think he's done a bad job considering the fact that uh, he's completely changed the culture at United, but I think that taking them uh, to league titles, especially when they're competing against squads who are equally, if not better than them, and will be even when United make signings and the likes of 
of, of Chelsea and Liverpool and City and then probably Newcastle in a couple of years if they do things properly. But we'll get on to that. Uh, the fact that when you're comparing manager to manager with these squads that are relatively even, it's there's just a huge difference between uh, in coaching abilities. Doesn't mean oh, it's a bad manager. I think he's just he's uh, he's limited in what he can do compared to some of these other guys. But uh, yeah, I, I was just looking like I was I was surprised. I was very very happy to see Ronaldo on the bench. I did not want to uh, to see him start, and a lot of a lot of people within the media were saying how Everton's squad were probably super motivated by the fact that Ronaldo didn't have wasn't starting. They're like, oh okay, well, like do we actually need to fear these guys? And I thought that for United, besides Martial, who didn't really do anything all game, but he did get his annual goal against Everton. I think he's got seven goals against Everton more than any other teams he scored against. Uh, I thought that Mason Greenwood, like I thought Greenwood was dangerous all game. Every time he got the ball, I was pretty terrified of what he was going to do. But other than that, yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot. The goal from Martial came from the fact that Ben Godfrey's a center back playing right back. So he tucked in too far, but uh, yeah, other than that, just, I'd expect more uh, in terms of the patterns of play from United, but I've criticized them before for that. So it's nothing new. Uh, for Everton, very, very impressed. I didn't expect anything out of this game, even though I knew United would kind of struggle to break them down, but I thought they'd have enough individual quality, but Everton really well organized uh, defensively, which I expected them to be um, playing with Ben Godfrey. Like I said, playing him at right back. So we don't have Seamus Coleman. We don't have Richarlison. We don't have Calvert-Lewin. So we have Rondon up front and you guys, like I, I mentioned, I, I probably mentioned it off air last week, but the fact that Rondon is like 30% fit and he just like, he's not capable of running. It's just like playing with a man down except for like one or two balls that go straight to him where he can trap and lay it off. But uh, yeah, still like a half fit Salomon Rondon at, at his age is not going to, uh, to be the greatest. So we're essentially playing a man down, but in terms of individual performances, uh, Damari Gray and Intakure, they're just they've been so so good in every single game this season and it's uh it's been Gray's been a really good signing and just really suits the system and what Everton are trying to do with like quite a few times like he did really well to pretty much just body Fred into the stance for that goal like obviously Fred should have just pulled him back but uh did really well and then Decore just he just he's just everywhere it just looked like the best player on the pitch in this game and then the likes of Anthony Gordon who we've spoken out about a bit recently uh stepping in and, and doing a pretty good job at, at old trafford it's not an easy game to step into and still causing some problems getting some crosses in and i was really impressed with everton going forward it's not like they just snatched a goal and defended really well like they were actually creating chances in this game albeit without having that much of a, like barely any of the ball i thought that every time they went forward and there are a lot of crosses into the box that somebody like a Richarlison or Calvert-Lewin would have got to. And just it happens to be the fact that Rondon wasn't fit for that game whatsoever. So he couldn't get on the end of it. And uh, yeah, just really nice counterattacking goal. Great finish from Townsend, whose his output is already justified a, a free transfer on, on his wages, which won't be that high. And then, yeah, other than that, I'm just impressed that they, uh, that they actually like were creating chances more than anything, but, uh, and a lot of fans disappoint, like feeling a little bit disappointed because like you guys mentioned the, the offside goal where there's a lot of debate between uh, 
between fans and people in media saying Tom Davis should have shot there. But per like personally, I'm looking at it and I know Davis got all sorts of criticism. I'll come back to you guys for this, but Davis be like getting all sorts of uh, criticism for not shooting there, but I'm looking at it and he plays the right pass. And I don't know why Yeri Mina just, just holds his run. He's, he's away from Lindelof, but in my opinion, it's up to Yeri Mina just stay on side there and, and tap it in. But uh, Jake, what, what do you think? Did you think it was the right decision for him to pass there? Yeah, honestly, I was fine with him passing it there. Um, again, like we know, like Tom Davies, like his, his biggest strength isn't exactly shooting. And even though it's like a, a pretty clear opportunity, maybe he just wasn't feeling uh, confident with the angle that he was at. So I was, I was um, like from a neutral, obviously, or not a neutral point of view, but I was fine with him passing that ball. Um, like you mentioned, yeah, I mean, that's probably seeing exactly how the play is developing probably should have stayed on side. So I'm sure that that was probably disappointing because there definitely wasn't uh, a comeback from United after that goal. So I think that's, that's probably um probably on Yerry Mina, like you said. What do you think, Gaden? Yeah, I just think it's unfortunate from Everton's point of view that it was those two players in the situation with the lack of experience in those positions. Mina wouldn't normally be in that position, but I agree with Jack. I think he should have been able to hold his run, but I'm sure Jake and I can agree that when you're a center half and your eyes are lighting up when you're in the box, you're probably going to try and score. So... Yeah, I think it's just a lack of experience from both players. And I wouldn't have been surprised that if Tom Davies struck it and slotted in the in the bottom corner, but I would have been confident if David De Gea would, like, was up against Tom Davies in a one-on-one, I'll be honest. So I think he, I think he made the right decision, pardon me. Yeah, well, I, I looked at it and I was like, I looked at the video footage of it back and, and pictures of it, which often don't really tell the story, but De Gea's positioning was really good there. Cause I'm like, it would have to be a really good finish for him to score. And then the other part of the, the, the whole situation, I thought it was funny. Yeri Mina going and celebrating in the corner where it, it looked like he knew he was offside the whole way. So he looked like an idiot celebrating in the corner, but fair play. I guess if, uh, if you score at old Trafford, you're going to celebrate either way in the, in the corner, but yeah, a little unfortunate for Everton, but the fact that we're even having this conversation and the fact that we're a little bit disappointed that we couldn't beat United at old Trafford spending 1.7 million in the summer is, is a, is a good sign. So like over the international break, we'll have to see what happens on the weekend. Apparently they've got some players back from injury, but I think Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison are still out. So We'll wait and see, but yeah, it's a really good result for Everton. Not good from United, but not not surprising either. Uh, let's move on now, guys. T- second topic. Uh, I want to talk about the Newcastle takeover. Now, there's been a lot of controversy around this uh, in terms of the the ethics and and the way that the takeover has happened, right? But uh, Jake, I'll come to you first. If we try to let, let, let first, let's talk about it from a football perspective. What are, what are your thoughts on the, the takeover for Newcastle? Yeah. Like, like you said, from the football perspective, we'll start with, that. I don't necessarily like it too much. Um, obviously like I'm going to be a hypocrite. Obviously part of that is because I don't want Newcastle to be like a, to become as good as or better than United, to be honest. What do you think, Aiden? Yeah, from a football perspective, I like it because I like Newcastle, but uh, same thing with Man City. I don't 
like I, I like Newcastle as a club, so I want them to do well in terms of the takeover, but I don't really support how it's going about. And I don't really think it's fair to the, to the rest of the teams who have worked their way up. Maybe, maybe like an Everton, kind of another team you might be worrying about in future seasons, uh, taking over your position. I'm not sure how you feel about that, uh, whether you now feel Newcastle could be a threat in the future and how long you think it could take for them to uh, really cement themselves selves as a top. Yeah, well, I think, first of all, Everton already blew their opportunity with their money. Now they're paying for it now. They just absolutely screwed up the the whole approach. But from a football football perspective, I think it's it's interesting because obviously we know that they have the money, but financial fair play rules now pretty much lim- they they limit the clubs to a certain degree. And if Newcastle don't spend the money properly and, and, and pull in Everton, right? If they don't spend the money properly, they're going to be in a similar situation to, to Everton. And they have to have a plan. So my whole thoughts surrounding the takeover is that Newcastle, they could be a threat. We've seen their, I think their owners, I think uh, uh, ben, ben Solomon, if that's, his, I, I believe that's his name, this, the, the Saudi Public Investment Fund they're worth like 10 times the amount of what Manchester city's ownership group are worth, which is, which it's just, it's pretty incredible if you think about it. But if, if you don't understand what you're doing, you don't have a smart plan and you're not a club that brings in revenues that would allow you to spend that money every single year, like Newcastle would be for the first little while before they possibly see success and, and get into Europe consistently and, and grow their brand to bring in more commercial revenue. You know what I mean by that. But if they don't do it properly, they're not in a good situation. So my whole, my, my main takeaway is I still, I would still take a smart club who knows what they're doing and operates correctly with a smaller budget, with a, with an identity, with a good coach and with a clear plan over uh, a ton of wealth without any, any real knowledge, but we'll see We're we're still waiting. Steve Bruce is still the manager there's all sorts of rumors about uh, bringing in a director of football. I read that Ralph Rangnick is not going there, despite there there were rumors there. But uh, I'm I'm interested to see how they approach it. I saw I think I saw on Twitter it was that that their first approach was going to be to bring in like experienced Premier League proven players, which wouldn't be the best approach. You could bring maybe like one, one or two in to kind of establish the culture in the dressing room before you bring in the, they just need to bring in the younger players that they can use for resale value until they get to that level. But um, if we're going to speak about the, the off the field ethics, Jake, what are, what are your thoughts on this one? You don't have to go, you don't have to go into like, details or anything because uh because uh, we don't we don't know and we're not experts on on what they've done but just on what you've read and what you know about the uh saudi public investment fund what are what are your thoughts on the the off the field stuff and, and why it's uh controversial yeah just on the off the field stuff like you said it really doesn't send a great message um and as, as you guys can imagine you guys know i read the athletic like every day they've been just pumping out like a crazy amount of articles just detailing like just so much information i can't even really like repeat a lot of it because i don't remember there's just so much like information that they're giving but one of the main things is like um i guess there's a lot of people that are opposed to this one because there's like a a saudi journalist who worked in i think it was washington dc and he would like 
like write stuff about the the Saudi government that they didn't like. Um, so and, and apparently it was like the guy who took over the club, uh, like you said, Ben Salman. Apparently, um, he ordered like this guy to be murdered or whatever. So he was just a journalist. So he was murdered. So um, I saw that was like a big talking part for a lot of Newcastle fans and and um, even like people involved with the club. Like you saw Alan Shearer. He he's obviously delighted. And he wrote an article like saying how delighted he was, but that he also feels conflict at the same time because it is confusing as well. Because I guess if you're a, if you're like a Newcastle fan, you're backing this. Like I totally understand how they they just want their club to be like good and successful and stuff. But you're kind of backing the the way like the, that the club was taken over and the way that the, the people with the money actually got the money. So that's kind of, it, like you said, it's like a touchy topic, but it is, um, there's obviously some off the field stuff that we wish like we, we didn't have in the owners, but unfortunately, like even, even when we with, with Manchester city in the past and, and even Chelsea, that it will happen. And I know a lot of people just to bring it back to United for a quick second. I saw a lot of people saying that like United fans who aren't in favor of these kind of takeovers are just are, are like hypocrites because um of the amount of money that united spend but the only like the big difference that like i said before united earn their own money that they bring in and and like chelsea and and city and newcastle at this point now they're just going to be funded by like a, a state so it's it's different that way and again and like i this isn't the same but i putting myself in the shoes of a newcastle fan i i will be a hypocrite and i would say i would probably be in favor of the takeover as well because like there's no doubt that that Mike Ashley is a worse owner than the Glazers, and I would take almost anyone to take the Glazers out. So, I, putting myself in their shoes, I could definitely understand like the excitement and stuff. Like no one's saying that they can't be excited about this because, like, first of all, it's not like they had any part to play in this. It's not like that they chose who the new owners would be or anything like that. So, um, they should be excited, like I mentioned. But there's obviously like some some caveats to go along with that as well. Um, and yeah. It, like I said, it's like the background is not all rosy and clear and the, the, the way that you'd like it from, from regular, I guess, uh, owners to take over. But ju yeah, just real quick, Aiden, what do you think? Yeah, first of all, wasn't Ben Solomon uh, trying or rumored to be taking over or wanting to bid for United about a year yeah. or two ago? Yeah, it was, yeah I read yeah. that today, yeah. Yeah, so there's that. And then... Uh, that would have been decent. But another thing to think about is like uh, when you're talking about Manchester City and, and Chelsea, it hasn't really hindered them in the media spotlight. Nobody in the media really talks about Manchester City in a, in a negative light anymore these days. Obviously, we try to bring it up on the podcast in terms of the investigation and the uh, inconvenient deaths of, of certain people involved in these things. But a lot of media outlets don't really cover that. So perhaps it'll become the same thing with Newcastle where it's just kind of swept under the rug as sad as that is. And yeah, uh, I agree with Jack a lot. I would rather take a very competent uh, recruitment process and kind of analytical approach rather than just throwing all the money at it because as a United fan, you know how that's going to work. And a lot of United players that are on the fringes of the squad have already been offered up as potential transfers for the January transfer window. Uh, Van de Beek, Bailly, Lingard, Martial. So, so if those players are going to Newcastle, we'll see how they get on. They all sound like great names, but I'm not super convinced until we see it out on the field. I'd rather take a Liverpool type of approach and uh, or a Brighton and get great recruitment, like Jack said. But as for the ethics of it, I think it'll get – it's terrible, but it probably gets swept under the rug just for the footballing aspect, unfortunately. 
Yeah, I think that in, in terms of how the Newcastle fans, I've seen a lot of people criticizing Newcastle fans. We've seen the picture of the the one fan dressed as like Ben Solomon and like it just shows it's a complete, like probably a great example of sports washing, which like that's that's what it is. It's it's to kind of make the country look look better, right? But um, I do think it's very unfair of people to criticize Newcastle fans for celebrating this because like what what are they they're not like it that would be unfair to ask any any uh, group of fans supporting any club to just stop following their club like it's not like they have any choice in the matter let's be honest it's about the the people who have the money and have the control so i think it's a really unfair for people to be like oh newcastle fans you're a disgrace for supporting this as if they have any control over it anyway um and yeah i think i, I just really wanted to point that out because it's 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 really not fair. I'm def- I'm sure that they're all aware of the terrible things um, that that are connected to the ownership group. But like like what what do you expect them to do? They're not going to just stop following the club that they've supported their for their whole lives. So, um, but but it is like it's, oh, it's it's not a good situation. The other the other thing would be the fact that the media are almost pointing this out because it's Newcastle and because it's a team that's traditionally uh, although they have a well-supported fan base, they're not like absolute. They're not absolutely massive. No matter what the, the Newcastle fans say, I, I don't know when the last time they won the trophy their their trophies were. And, and I'm coming from an Everton fan who's never seen my club win a trophy. But because it's Newcastle, in terms of Newcastle and and the ethics involved in all of these billionaire owners, they're the media are almost acting like because it's Newcastle, this is the first time this has ever happened where. Like you've, you've let it happen before with Man City and Chelsea and pretty much every billionaire. If you're a billionaire, you've done some very suspicious things like in, in general. I don't even, how do you become a billionaire? That blows my mind. But to amass the amount of wealth that some of these people have and then to, and then to kind of point out that as if Newcastle are the first ones to do it. I think, unfortunately, it's the sad reality is the game's already gone, basically, that you've already allowed these these groups and, and these these people to to enter the sport and, and, and have this much money and have this much power. Um, and you haven't set up the rules correctly to uh, kind of, you know, restrict them or, or to punish them in terms of the Super League. There, was, there wasn't even a punishment for the, the clubs for the Super League, which is ridiculous because we, we all know that that's going to happen one day now. No punishment. Are you kidding me? But uh, yeah, it's a sad situation. But I, I feel for the Newcastle fans, I'm sure that on the field, they're going to be really happy uh, if things are done correctly. And listen, I know a lot of, like people are saying, oh, they're going to be ch- challenging for Champions League and stuff. I know New- from what I've seen, Newcastle fans are like, we don't even expect that. We just want to have some sort of hope for uh, for the club. So really, if you look at it that way, they just really want a plan. Same as me with Everton. I just want a true plan as to how they're going to be successful. But yeah, definitely controversial. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more news coming out uh, in the next couple of days, in the next couple of weeks, and over the course of the season before they really uh, start to plan to change everything in the summer, I would think, but, uh, but yeah, definitely controversial. Yeah. I agree with all that. Jack. And, uh, I think for everyone before they start worrying about spending money, they really need to stave off relegation. They're only on three points right now. So <laughs> it'll be critical before the January transfer window to, uh, secure their spot above the bottom three before Christmas. 
That is true. They are in the relegation zone. They're in 19th, I think. So yeah, imagine that. What if, what if just theoretically, what if Newcastle got relegated immediately? That would be, that would make things interesting. I would like to see what the the plan from the the new ownership group is then, because then you'd be even more limited in terms of what you can do, but we shall see. Uh, let's move in now. This is the big stuff. This is the most exciting stuff, the recent stuff. Canada's journey to the World Cup. They're going to the World Cup. Let's be honest. I can say it now. I can. I think that they're going to make the World Cup after last night's result and over the last three fixtures where Canada have tied Mexico at the Azteca, somewhere where uh, only 10 teams since 1934 have not lost as the at the Azteca in World Cup qualifying. So in 87, 87 years, that's ridiculous. It's an unreal record for Mexico, to be fair, but just really good point for Canada there, especially missing a bunch of key players. Uh, and then on the road in Jamaica, in a game that they were definitely the better team, but the conditions and the pitch just really, really uh, hindered Canada from really being able to play their game. But then last night's performance with a huge 4-1 win after going down like the fourth minute, yeah, the fifth minute against Panama, 4-1 win for Canada at BMO Field in Toronto just like five points from this window in Canada currently now with that win against Panama Canada in third place in an automatic qualification spot. And I know uh, we, we spoke about it for the last international break and said like, do, do we, do you guys think, do we think we're going to make it? And we were, all of us are really starting to say like, yeah, I think they've got a good chance, but after this window and with like such a good performance uh, against Panama still without a couple of key players and, Kyle Aaron and Atiba Hutchinson and, and a few others, they were still completely dominant despite some poor defending for the first goal. But if Canada can win their home games and just not lose and make things difficult away from home at this point, after playing against the States and drawing in the United States and, and drawing in, in Mexico city, I, I, I really think that they've got a chance now. It's just, it's kind of strange for me to actually believe they're going to do it. But Jake, what are your, what are your thoughts? If, if you want to, if you, you can touch on some of the games, but your overall thoughts on, on where the program's headed and whether you thought if, whether you, uh, whether you think they're actually going to make the world cup. Yeah. Like you mentioned, it's a very exciting time to be a Canada fan. Um, and yeah, I'll just, I'll just add in there. I'll, I'll answer that last question first. I think, I think that Canada will make it. Yeah. Cause, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's a top, the top three spots get automatic entry, and I believe fourth place gets a playoff against. I don't know a team from. I think it's a team from from Asia. I yeah. believe. So yeah. So perfect. So it'll be a team like, I don't know, Kazakhstan or whatever. It should be okay. But um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just Canada sitting in third place now, four points above the 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 fifth place, which obviously is where the the cutoff is. So that's promising already, considering it's only six games in out of eight. I believe so there's still quite a ways to go obviously but yeah Canada have shown a lot and uh, even I think it just shows a, a lot just the fact that we can be upset that Canada have have four draws and, and no losses and just the fact that we feel like Canada deserves more points than they're currently on I think that's that shows that we've come a long way like for like for example Canada drew against Honduras and Jamaica who are in in sixth and eighth places so um yeah it, it just shows like even though Canada's performing extremely well, like you mentioned, Jack, tying against the two biggest teams, Mexico and the U.S., and 
both those games away from home, I think it's a it's like an unreal positive about the fact that we can be a little bit aggrieved that Canada don't have more points because I think we we deserve like to have to have more points, like I mentioned. And and yeah, it's nice to, that the expectation is growing. And like you mentioned, just responses in the games were positive against in in Mexico going down one nil. Like you said, Jack, I don't think there's very many teams who would come back from a goal down in Mexico City with. Like just you could go everything with the atmosphere, the the altitude, the the fans, just yeah, all all that, and just considering the the fact that Canada came back from there, that's that's very good, and um and yeah, against Panama as well. Obviously, Panama aren't a team on the on the level as Mexico, but like you mentioned, they took the lead in the fifth minute, so things could have gotten nasty for Canada. They could have you know dropped their heads or whatever, but absolutely didn't do it, and and scored four goals unanswered after that. So that was that was nice. Um, I think I mentioned this last time as well that the fact that we know exactly how the atmosphere is in 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 most in toronto because uh, obviously the three of us went there to watch a game against i think it was the dominican republic and we, we just know exactly the way it works so it is exciting if you're a fan there to watch canada play because more likely than not you're going to see some goals and you're going to see a good performance so that's that's um incredibly positive like like i said canada and mexico are the only two teams who are undefeated after six games so yeah that's unreal from canada to be honest like if they were in, in this pool of, of teams then maybe like six seven years ago you expect them to be completely bottom right now so yeah just the new players coming through are very exciting it's like it's not that much different from last year national break there's not that, that much new stuff that i can say because you know canada are relatively in the same spot but it's promising coming through three tough tests i know last like i mentioned last year national break i was kind of nervous looking at the schedule coming up i said oh mexico panama and, and jamaica it'll be a tough run of fixtures for canada because those teams are are traditionally good but yeah, we, we did really well. Um, like I mentioned, just just a, a draw against Jamaica. You can be a little disappointed with that. But again, I'm, I'm repeating myself. But yeah, just the fact that you can be disappointed in those results, I think it shows like huge progression from from the program in general. And yeah, it's just very exciting to see. And, and obviously, it would be great to see Canada in the World Cup before the, the home World Cup in 2026. So yeah, just, just very much looking forward to the next international break. I think it's next month as well in, in November. So that can't come soon soon enough some nice games as well um next month against i think costa rica mexico and i believe uh, maybe honduras if they have a if they have a third game next next break so yeah again three three more big games and i'm I'm just ready for it i can't wait to see how how canada performs so so yeah aiden what, what do you think yeah like you said not too too much to touch on after the last international break in terms of changing positions, but I think it's really positive in terms of not losing ground. And I might be getting a little bit greedy here, but if I'm a Canada fan, I really want to finish above the U S because we don't like the U S at all. And maybe a little bit overrated in my eyes. So I would like this generation to push on and hopefully finish above the U S but I think we nailed it spot on. Just get the draws in the, in the tough, uh, tough games, uh, easier said, than done like you guys already mentioned against Mexico but get the get the draws against the away game or in the away games and and win the home games and I think last night's performance was really I'll say inspiring because it was all the young guns the new generations the players around our age group that are that are firing and and really creating plays and kind of driving the team forward with other players like Jack mentioned still to come back so Maybe got a little bit lucky in terms of the selection that Jamaica could put out, but um, and unlucky in terms of the result for Canada. But yeah, I'm, I'm very happy, and uh, there's still a long way to go. So I don't want to speak too highly of Canada, but getting a little bit over 
eager. I want them to finish above the U.S., but nothing would surprise me now. That's all I have to say. Really, like, sitting on the fence take, but nothing would surprise me. I'm still nervous. What do you think, Jack? Yeah, I think it's the fact that they they've all they've played this. It's the states in Mexico, guys, that they've got. They haven't lost to those teams away from home because they lose to those teams away from home. Then it's the states in Mexico pull away. But if if can just don't lose those ones and take care of the points at home and make sure that they're not allowing the teams around them like Panama to really get away. And in, in last night's case uh winning and really the, the the classic six point game but uh but but jumping back above Panama but when you look there's only eight games left so you've got two games in the next international break but both at home in uh in Edmonton I believe so you've got can play Costa Rican and then Mexico but again Mexico at home in Edmonton it, I would think it would be a sold out crowd and then you go away to Honduras, but Canada completely dominated Honduras at, at BMO Field last time out. Then you play Can, then you play the States uh, again at home. Uh, so even again, you don't even need to win those ones; just draw, just don't lose to them, in my opinion. And then yeah, El Salvador away, Costa Rica away, Jamaica at home, and then and then Panama away. So it's it, like what they've shown so far is that they're going to be dangerous at home. And we've seen they've got the players to do it and with players to come back, like Atiba Hutchinson, who's, who's one of the most important players and, and the captain, not able to, to play this this uh, this international break due to injury, but put him in that team. And you've got you've got Alfonso Davies with his, like, he's so good. His goal, his goal last night was absolutely insane, running the whole length of the pitch to make up the ground and then beating the defender one V one, but Tejon Buchanan, again, so much pace. Jonathan David is a very good playmaker and he's been playing completely isolated without any, uh, it's not, you, you look at him. He's not a traditional number nine. He's definitely more of like a center forward who will drop off and link play. But if you have somebody like Kyle Lahren who wasn't available, I think he might've had COVID but Kyle Lahren to drop back in there and to help Jonathan David out. And then you've got the pace on the wings. You, there's a lot of good things going on and, and credit to the players and credit to John Herdman because he definitely understands exactly what the expectations are, but also understands what the squad is capable of doing. We're not trying to be Barcelona or anything. We just use, use our best players uh, in their most effective positions and play in a way that makes us the most dangerous, which is really all you can ask with, with our current talent pool. But it's just really exciting. The fact that they're like, they're truly competitive and they're getting these results. And it's not like against Panama, it's not like a two, one scrappy win. I, if I compare it to the States, we've seen the States throughout the world cup qualifying and, and from all of the, the media I've consumed, a lot of them are saying like, yeah, we won, but it wasn't really convincing or it wasn't really good performance despite having a really good team. Whereas in Canada's case, you'd say on paper, they're not as good, but they're coming away with really good performances and you can see what they're trying to do, which is, I know like if you're comparing the styles of play to, to club football, it's completely different. It's more about getting the results in the international game. But for, for somebody, for like a, a country like Canada, the fact that we're seeing both is absolutely incredible. It's very exciting. Again, long way to go. But on the other hand, it's like there's not a lot, there's only eight games left. So uh, every World Cup qualifying break is going to be exciting until the World Cup next year. 
And uh, yeah, long may the success continue and hopefully they can continue to pick up the home wins and avoid defeats away from home. And then we will see them in Qatar next year. But uh, Jake, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, just like it's nothing like tactical or anything like that. It's just like like you guys know, Canada's not not known as a soccer country by, by I'd say like most of the world. And it's only recently that Canada's starting getting good. And and um, apparently, like I have a couple cousins and friends from school who live in Toronto, and they're they're all telling me that after the final whistle, there were just cars honking and waving the Canadian flags, and that was due to to the the obviously the men's the soccer game. So that, that's not something that we've seen in the country to be honest in a very long time. And or maybe ever, I don't know. Obviously, I wasn't around when Canada qualified for the, the World in 86. But yeah, just having having people interested in the men's or women's, I guess, result as well, it's just a huge step forward for, for Canada. It's just exciting. Like, obviously, like I never really thought I would see a, a game in, in Canada where cars would be honking and waving flags out the window after a World Cup qualifier. So yeah, Canada's just taking some steps forward. It's very exciting to, to be a part of. So obviously as a Canada fan. So yeah, that, that's all I have to say. And you have anything to add? Yeah, just something bit of caution is that I think we need to remember that there's a lot of luck and in, luck involved in international football. Uh, not trying to jinx it, but can't be getting injuries to the key players at club level or else the qualification could be getting out the window. So not trying to jinx it, but Davies and David, all the other boys, they need to be staying fit. And then a big weakness of the team, not a weakness, but, an area that needs to stay solid is the center of defense. And if that's staying good, then I think Canada will be qualifying for sure. We need to get Atiba Hutchinson. What, what do they call him? The cryo chambers, put him in there, keep him fresh. 38 or 39 years old. He's still going. We need him to be fit. Cause he's, 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 he's like the, the key man in the middle in in the midfield. Like he's still, he's like the Canadian Fernandinho pretty much. He's, He's very good and in a miss from the last break, but yeah, that, that does scare me a little late. And if you think of like how would Canada line up if they don't have Alfonso Davies and Tejon Buchanan, if they were missing with both of them, then it would be concerning. But then we, I guess we just trust John Herbin to come up with a solution. But then again, that'd be a pretty difficult ask to come away without, uh, to come away with anything without those two, but Hopefully they stay fit and uh, yeah, like I said, continue their good run of form. And it's just really surreal for us to actually think like they're as of right now they're in and it's just a matter of, of it's like England in the Euros, just don't lose and kind of get your, and, and work your way to the finals for us. It's like, you're, you're there. Just don't, don't bottle it basically, but <laughs> still a long way to go. But yeah, like I said, we're, we're excited and, and it'll be interesting to follow. But I think that's all for this week. Uh, thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week. Thank you very much. Bye.